0: Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlonthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
1: Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Samantha. Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. Happy International Women's Day. Well, that's wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> Complete 180 from the conversation we were just having, which we won't disclose. But yeah, happy International Women's Day. Are you feeling celebrated? I'm not because there's
2: like too many anti-women's choice laws getting put up into a legislation.
1: And that was like a really, yeah. really... I understand what you're saying. Yeah, don't feel too appreciated No, on this International Women's Day. I will tell you that right now. But nonetheless, we're here and we are womensplaining politics to you once again, which is what we all need more of in the world, you know? More uh, womensplaining. Amen
2: to that. I also didn't know that planning was a term until the great TikTok shared that with me. And I was like, oh, well, howdy doody. What do
1: we have here? Yeehaw. Mm-hmm. And now I love it. I do love it. I did have a guy tell me recently, he said, I like gave him shit. I was like, don't mansplain to me. He goes, I would never be so dumb to mansplain something to you, Madison. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I respect that. I appreciate the awareness. Thank you. Absolutely. But speaking of like Women's History
2: Month and all that good stuff is we had a little like Winner, winner, chicken dinner moment! That I am, um, I, th- I screamed first of all because that's just—I think that's just my reaction to everything. It's just fall, laugh, or just scream. So mm-hmm. apologies to my neighbors, although they're more annoying, but whatever. Anyways, you guys, we were on shows we love, Apple Podcasts playlist. Not just that, literally one of the first icons, mm-hmm. unheard of. But
1: oh, we're now the first one actually. Or
2: th- obsessed and then in addition to that we also are on the women's history playlist for not done yet aka not done yet being like we are participating and becoming a part of women's history and that sent me i don't know where it sent me but into sent me
1: to the moon but like literally sent me to the floor the
2: floor The i mean i'm already sitting on the floor though so it maybe it's something
1: that's a that's a you thing that's a
2: me thing yeah, can I but go any? I don't know if I can go For a girl arms. who's
1: not regularly on the floor, I was <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> if that helps you paint the picture. But no, seriously, so iconic and exciting. And thank you guys. Honestly, it's you guys getting mm-hmm. us there. And speaking of, like, we got so much positive response from the Ukraine two part episode moment, and it helped so many of you guys. So thank you for spending. of your questions we sadly couldn't get to all of them but you guys were super engaged on that topic and wanting to learn more so that was really cool to see and honestly probably triggered our little apple podcast star moment so thank you guys keep submitting Mm -hmm. questions we'll try to get to them all but it's sometimes tough because you guys have such good ones but super exciting moment totally guys and also to the point about questions if
2: there's like just a general political question or its positions, and you know, we've sent, you know, put some of those up on our stories before, we may not have covered them yet. Just know we like have like an archive, like we put them somewhere. We plan to get to them. So if you open a le- an episode and you're like, huh, that's weird. Why is my uh my question not in here? It's like we will get to it. We promise. Just keep sending them. We will get to those bad boys. We promise. So
1: hit us up in the dms thank you keep sliding into our dms we love it when you do even if you want to just say hey what's up um hello but also like to that point of you know kind of archived questions if you're also listening to like a kind of episode from the archives that maybe is a while back and you have questions that pop up always Mm. feel free to ask us those as well because the other thing is like we are so deep into this now as you met this other day like we have so many episodes and we've covered so many topics that like obviously if we have new listeners they're not always going to get back to those episodes on those topics so if there is something you guys want us to like recover maybe recover is that a word (laughs) you know what i mean not like recover but like cover again Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you thank you for that clarification thanks guys um Yeah, if you want us to cover another topic again, let us know because, you know, there's probably topics we covered back in the OG days that we need to revisit. So let us know if there's anything like that you guys want to hear from us. But we have another exciting episode today, our second federal elected official, a congressman. And before we get into that whole intro, let's run through our beloved housekeeping moments because... We still have four bottles of wine for twenty nine ninety five ready mm-hmm. for you guys. So if you are looking to snag that deal, which you absolutely should I, once, in lifetime,
0: once in a lifetime, once in a
1: lifetime, then go head to the link in our episode description and go get your Wink Wines. They're seriously incredible. It's a subscription service, and they come right to your door, and they're delicious, and they have really cute branding, and they look cute on your shelves, and. Four bottles for twenty ninety five. Like it doesn't get much better than that. So if you are twenty one and over, then go get those wines. Let us know what you think and to go going, to the wink in our bio. Did you just say go
2: to my, the wink in our bio? We've said that before. You don't remember? I have like
1: amnesia. But isn't that good? <laughs> <laughs> I think I so that. You, were, you were you were very much present for when we said it the last time. But hey, Sam, what do you think about it? <laughs> It's
2: a good one honestly a squirrel probably like ran past my window when you said and i was like (laughs) wow look at
1: that (laughs) yeah the wink in our vial you guys that's so funny funny, it's cute
2: wait i love that oh my god i'm so sorry to give you like acknowledgement on this at an earlier date i guess you
1: also don't listen to our podcast i I honestly don't sometimes I already listen to it when we do it and when I edit it. And so there's lots of days where I, I don't watch the, listen to the the real deal. But I think I'm just. Send- Samantha. I don't know. You yeah, better. I'm
2: sending myself to purgatory on that one.
1: But. Anyways. <gasps> no Wink, wink. Moment. Nod, nod.
2: Get it. Get it. Anyways. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to see myself out. Bye. Samantha. Dorm. Last chance tickets.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Last chance, last tickets,
2: chance, guys. last chance. Okay, so obviously, if you've been listening along, we have an event on Saturday, March twelfth in NYC, the Big Apple, the Small Apple, the Apple of my eye, and it's at Y Seven and Flatiron. And we will be doing hot yoga. We're going to be having a panel, aka live show, with us two, your favorites, your favorites, you just you know. Anyways, I don't know why I'm going into a Jersey accent, but it just felt right. <laughs> Too much coffee. Anyways, said panel is going to have a few of our favorites that may sound familiar on it. Brian Derrick, political strategist. We've got Sarah Haig. And Hague.
1: icon. Absolute
2: icon. Absolute icon. <laughs> Sarah Haig from Vote Mama. We've got Zach Malamed from The Next 50. We are talking about the midterm elections. I know you guys hear us chatting about it just a little bit on this podcast of podcasts, but we are going into it. We're talking about what we need to do, how we can get our friends mobilized, you know, important dates, and just some of the the key things to be able to take away as we get into this crazy year. So, tickets are in the description. March 12th, Y7, come hang. We're also going to have some really, really, really cute goodie bags. So, if you like swag... you like social goods this is gonna be a great one for you if you want to try some really cute wine spritzers from ramona which is a really cool women-owned brand i mean this is your moment this is your come hang come say hi take some cute pics
1: say hi get a workout in before you like go out because obviously like it's a saturday night you guys and think about this too if you're in new york city and, you know, you listen to this podcast regularly and, you know, we always talk about how important it is to check on your friends politically and make mm-hmm. sure they're registered, make sure they're engaged. Like this is a perfect opportunity to bring them into the political space and like kind of like do your part and have your impact of like getting someone into the political realm and getting them civically engaged while also like doing something they probably already love to do, which is a hot yoga class mm-hmm. at Y7. So, and drinking wine and hanging out with young, cool people. So, <laughs> this is your opportunity to have a little political impact on Saturday. So, come one, come all, come with all your friends. Are you um, calling us cool? Oh, we're obviously cool it's not even a question
2: wait that reminds me we were on cool girl news podcast so we chatted with our ladies over there had so much fun they're phenomenal and like just have like such a great groove on talking about like navigating your 20s and all the stuff that sort of goes on yes good bad the ugly just honestly raw opinions and vibes on that we chatted about girl makeup origin story relationships and politics how to navigate it all you know Sort of, you know, where Girl on the Gov is going, where Girl on the Gov came from, all of that good
1: stuff. So definitely check it out. We'll also check send a link. It
2: out. Check, check it out. Yeah. Why do I always we'll think link I can everything?
1: Say? And just to wrap up our housekeeping, which we are absolutely dragging out to the maximum. Apologize for that. But <laughs> we have an internship this summer. If you're interested, you can go to girl on the slash careers and learn all about it. It's a research, social media, marketing, PR internship, AKA the All the Things internship. <laughs> and you can check it out there and email us with your resume and your info again this is a internship for college credit so remember that if you are not looking for an internship but want to join our community you can join our brand ambassador program where there are no requirements but tons of resume boosters networking opportunities and community building i'm just learning more and more about the political space and how to continue to be impactful in it so Check that out at girlonthev.com. And I think that's it. We'll stop. Let's introduce our guest. <laughs> Hard stop on the stop. housekeeping and soft launch into our interview. Brooms away.
2: Brooms away. You oh wait, would that be who if you're like you broomed me away?
1: No. Nope. <laughs> you You know, genuinely don't get it. <laughs> like, you know, you blew me away. And you burned me away. Just because they both start with B. <laughs> It's okay. We're so at smart. the actual state of delusion at this point in our day, so just don't mind us. But Samantha, introduce our guest, why don't you?
2: I'm, I'm on it. So, you guys, this episode could not have come at a more perfect time because we interviewed Congressman Christ from Florida, so he's District 13. We obviously talk about all of the crazy stuff going on in Florida Legislation all over the place. Good old Ron DeSantis. We need a nickname for him, by the way, because we do have Lord Farquhar for Greg Abbott. We obviously need one mm. for Ron DeSantis. Anyone has any
1: thoughts, creativity on that matter, do uh hit us up. I'm just gonna keep it at the vote for now. Yeah. That's the temporary answer, but definitely we'll think of something maybe more creative. If you guys have ideas, let us know. Totally. Oh, also really quick, mm. just to circle back on a point we made a few episodes back if you also have ideas of what we should call our <laughs> listeners please let us know like we have the daddy gang we have the gigglers like what should the girl in the gov squad be called just keep it in mind sorry continue
2: like please because we really cannot be the govers that's so lame no we can't like okay, congressman okay. chris anyways <laughs> congressman chris former governor and former republican now a democrat former republican governor of florida he is running for governor again so
1: as a democrat
2: yeah flipping the script making some change making some moves so without further ado here is congressman christ okay we'll move into florida let's bring it down the east coast and let's chat about your district you are the congressman for the 13th congressional district can you give us the lay of the land what is the district like? What is the, you know, the demographic? What are the issues that that district is zeroed in on?
3: Sure. Well, I I think it's beautiful. It's, it includes St. Petersburg and Clearwater. It's the Tampa Bay area, basically. And it's all in Pinellas County. Uh, And Pinellas County is a, it's a peninsula on the peninsula of Florida. So we're surrounded by water, Tampa Bay and the Gulf of Mexico lots of beaches, lots of great people, pretty progressive now, especially St. Pete. It's a wonderful place to grow up. I was born in Pennsylvania, but moved to St. Petersburg when I was three years old. So I've been there forever and wonderful, great people, good public schools and a lot of cool restaurants and museums.
1: Love that. Can you kind of also tell us about a bit uh, about your like time in Congress and some of, you know, legislation you've passed that you're really proud of or that you can kind of look back on?
3: You know, I think the most important piece of legislation I've been here in almost my six years now is called Veterans Treatment Court. And it's just an opportunity for veterans who may have a run in with the law of one kind or another to get special treatment to help them through that through that process. And, you know, President then President Trump signed it into law, which is mm-hmm interesting i'm a democrat and yeah and so that was that was well kinda... oh,
1: bring our bipartisan bell we have a bipartisan yeah, sure. bell like to bring. <laughs> exactly. well i used to
3: be a republican so i've been all over the place but yeah no i was very pleased that he signed it and you know it's going to help veterans all over the country get through you know a drug problem or other legal difficulties that they're dealing with but i've also been very proud uh, to serve with president biden on what we're doing to handle covid trillions of dollars to help the American people and frankly, the world get through it and get more vaccines out across the globe because so many countries just don't have the resources that we as Americans do. So very honored and and pleased to be able to do the right thing and and help the world out.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) And you made a mention that you used to be a Republican, which makes me have so many questions. I need to hear the backstory. How did you transition from one party to the next? How did you get into politics too? Give us the four on one.
3: Yeah, well, you know, basically, I am i was a Republican because mom and dad were. I mean, it's the same reason I'm a Methodist, because mom and dad were. And, you know, but as I got further and further into my political career, I started to see a change in the the Republican Party. And like in 2010, the rise of the Tea Party started, and I saw more of a harshness about the party that troubled me because of the way my mom and dad raised me and my three sisters. You know, to be decent to others and, and kind to people and have compassion. And then, you know, after, uh, you know, I, we had a great recession back in 2008, 2009. And frankly, I worked with President Obama. I was a Republican governor. Obviously, he was a Democratic president. And a fair number of Republicans in my state were not happy about that. And it really kind of broke my heart, to be honest, because I don't think it was only because he was a Democratic president. Part of it, sadly, was because he was the first black president. And so I saw things within my former party. And, and, and guys, I don't want to paint too broad a brush with this. But fact of the matter is there's a lot of good Republicans. But I saw enough of it that I decided that it wasn't a place I was comfortable anymore. And I became a Democrat. And I'm very, very, very comfortable being a Florida Democrat
1: yeah that's such an interesting story and the trajectory i mean i think the parties have shifted so much so it really makes sense for people to kind of like re-identify and really reevaluate their priorities politically so that's no question about story. It. i'm sure a lot of people and, but, relate to that
3: yeah sure sure it, and the culmination of it was that he and i hugged each other he came to fort myers florida to promote the stimulus plan you know mm-hmm. to help people get through the great recession And he asked me to introduce him there, which I did. And uh, I remember at the time my staff came to my office when the White House first called to do that and said, you know, the president would like you to be with him if you're willing in Fort Myers next week. Do you want to go do that? And I said, yeah, sure. And they said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, why do you ask? And they said, well, you know, he's a Democrat. (laughs) I said, hey, guys, he's the president of the United States of America. I mean, he is coming here to help Florida to give us $12 billion yeah. so we don't have to lay off public school teachers. Right.
1: He's just trying to solve a recession. It's not that He's just trying just to the do the right thing.
3: So, you know, I yeah. introduced, he hugged me and that was it. Boom. Oh
1: my God. I love that. I love that story. Well, some other kind of like roles you have on your resume are Florida Education Commissioner as well as Attorney General. Can you kind of give a run through of like what those roles really are for people who aren't familiar with those positions and what they really do?
3: Sure. Sure. Well, as, as commissioner of education, it was an elected position when I, when I got there. And so you you oversee all the public schools in the state, you know, K through 12, the universities, you know, all of it. And mm-hmm. it was a great honor to do that. Cause I'm a public school kid. I graduated from Florida state university and we have great universities in the sunshine state. And so it was a lot of fun and fought for teachers and, and the students. And then I was attorney general after that got elected attorney general and, really focused on civil rights, making sure that the rights of minorities were respected, their voting rights, things of that nature. And, you know, it was, a, it was a great office to hold. You had about 400 lawyers, you know, as your team that you could use to fight for justice and fight for women's rights and do the right thing. As corny as that may sound, yeah. it's important to me. And I think we need more of that now more than ever.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, truly. And also, wow, 400 people, that is a lot of people to manage, which in contrast yeah. to them being an election official, I guess that's not that many. But so <laughs> I am like thinking about, oh, my God, managing 400 people. There's not enough coffee in the world. But my... <laughs> grand-
3: <laughs> well, I had a lot of help um, being, yeah. being on it. So that was yeah. that made it a lot easier, really.
2: That is hugely positive. And also speaking of positive, you are running for a different position, which is governor of Florida, take two. So tell us about that run, sort of why you're like, you know what, let's get back to this C, sorry, see ya, Congress. <laughs>
3: well, you know, I'm running for governor because I love Florida and it breaks my heart. The leadership we have now with Governor DeSantis, frankly, I think he's a disaster. You know, it, it's almost as though he gets up every morning thinking of what group he can beat on yeah. that day. You know, whether it's women and their right to choose African-Americans and their right to vote conveniently, which they've mm-hmm. made more difficult. Yeah. My, my senior citizen parents, my dad's 89, mom's 87, and they love to vote by mail. Yeah. And he is making that harder in Florida now. It's, it's really anti-democracy, to be honest with you. Absolutely. And with what we see happening in Ukraine and Russia and those brave people in Ukraine and President Zelensky working so hard to fend off a, a real crushing of democracy, to mm-hmm. see my own governor. Not fighting for democracy in Florida for our fellow citizens. And you got to think about this. I mean, what political party would make it or want to make it harder to vote unless you think you can't win elections outright, up and honest? You know, it's, it's really kind of weird.
1: Transparent, honestly.
3: <laughs> but that's why I'm running. I mean, I yeah. think Floridians deserve better, and, and I'm, I'm sure that they do. And I'm very optimistic about the race.
1: Good. Well, we Uh, want to like dive into your platform further and we will do that later. But before we do that, we want to run through our I have a stupid question segment because we want to talk about the role of being a governor and really, you know, kind of what those powers entail and the responsibilities. And like, obviously, we look at a governor at the state level, but are there also like national responsibilities? Can you kind of like run through what that looks like? And honestly, especially looking at it from Florida, which is like such a big state and honestly a pretty influential state looking at how like the rest of the country sometimes really does follow what Florida does. Can you kind of run through those responsibilities?
3: Sure. Well, you know, I think the main responsibility is look out for the people. And, you know, a great president once said the government should be of the people, by the people and for the people and not for the big corporations and not for the parties, but for the people who are the boss. I mean, it is democracy. And so looking out for their interests, protecting Florida's beautiful environment. Our environment and our economy are inextricably linked. And, you know, we have a great tourist industry and to make sure that we're watchful of our our streams, our water, our Everglades, they're pretty precious things. And so I take that very seriously. And then, you know, guiding in, in education, making sure that our teachers are respected and paid what they should be. But on the national level, we have a national guard, of course, as all states do, And the governor is the commander in chief of that National Guard. And it can be dispatched, you know, to help out in situations across the globe or here in the nation's capital to protect, you know, those who are serving against the kind of insurrections and stupid things that we've had, you know, in the not too distant history in America. So it's pretty wide, wide ranging, you know, it's health, safety and welfare of of the people of the state of Florida and to be their CEO, basically, and always have their interests, their desires, their hopes and dreams uppermost in your heart.
0: Yeah.
2: I love the concept of it being a CEO. I feel like that really can paint a more easy picture as to what a governor does to people. So love that. Everyone, CEO, governor, put in one <laughs> one box <laughs> yeah. together. But thinking right. about governors and their work with other states, I think we see a lot of that. I know there's a governor's association. Can you give a little bit of color to what those relationships look like and what's accomplished between states, governors working together?
3: Yeah, an awful lot. And and I think one of the best things you do when you get in those conferences with other governors is there's a real exchange of ideas uh, that flows. And, you know, what somebody may be doing like Roy Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, that could be brought to Florida that would help our people have a better quality of life. That's really important stuff. And I think the best relationships that you get is to try to, Do what's right for the people of your state and learning from governors from all around America. It's a wonderful opportunity and most of them are pretty pretty cool people. Thank God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
3: Not all. We'll take some
1: of our miracles, you know, one by one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we saw a lot of that with COVID too, and you know, how states had to really work together. So and also obviously with the federal government. So to see like governors and how they interact with all the levels. But Continuing this, this conversation these questions, how do governors work with the state legislature? Can you kind of paint that picture, too? I mean, maybe, you know, do we compare it to the president and Congress? How, how can we look at it?
3: Very similar to that, really, is, is, is the right answer. You know, they're both legislative branches, whether it's the legislature or it's Congress. And my first job in politics, I was in the state Senate in Florida. So had some good exposure <clears throat> to the legislative branch and how governors interacted with us. And I, and I think the most important thing for a governor to do with the state house and the state legislature is show them respect. I mean, these, these are people that represent, you know, the, the folks in their district and they're just trying to do what's best for them. And I think the easiest way to work with them is to, you know, invite them to the governor's office or the governor's mansion, you know, for a, a meal or a glass of wine and, and talk about what their interests are, what they care about. And I think establish good relationships where you develop trust. And when you do that, I think you have a much greater opportunity, whether they're Democrat or Republican to work with a democratic governor. If I have the honor of winning in November and you know, just establish that, you know, we're all Floridians just like we're all Americans and you know, who doesn't want good schools or a clean environment or a better opportunity in life.
2: Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of common ground between both sides, and that's rarely Mm -hmm. kind of put together or spoken about, nor, you know, also the relationships between people and how, you know, politics sort of impacts those as well. And there's a lot of fixing, I think, in this moment that needs to definitely be done. But to finish this segment, this is a question I really had during COVID, and I feel like I didn't get a great answer to. So I'm hoping you can help is do governors have an executive order power? And if so, is that like an all-states thing?
3: Yeah, you do. Just like the president, you know, you can sign executive orders, which unilaterally can make a difference in your state as soon as you sign them. I'll give you an example. I signed an executive order in 2008 when Barack Obama was running against then-Senator John McCain. And at the close of the race in Florida, we had for the first time early voting. So people could go days before the election day to vote. But we had these huge lines. I mean, people were so excited about Barack Obama being on the ballot. And so I ended up signing an executive order to expand the hours of early voting. Bear in mind, I'm a Republican at the time. So my then Republican friends were none too happy about that and said, you know, Charlie, why are you doing that? You're a Republican governor and what you're doing is probably helping the Democratic candidate. And I told them, I said, well, listen, you know, when I got sworn in as your governor, I didn't get sworn in as the governor of the Republicans of Florida. I got sworn in as the governor of the people of Florida. And I have a duty and an obligation that I swore to God that I would uphold. And that's all I'm doing. And I hope you don't mind because I'll keep doing it.
1: I love that. And it's crazy that that could ever you know, anyone could ever lose sight of that. But it seems to be a common theme. And honestly, looking at the current governor of Florida, it seems to be that theme. Very much so. And we kind of want to dive into that a little bit more. You know, the news cycle is kind of very much inundated with a lot of the moves that DeSantis has been making over the past year or two years. Can you kind of paint the picture of really what's going on in Florida? Is it representative of the people in Florida and what they really want? Be it, you know, a restrictive voting bill to, you know, now an attack on LGBTQ and trans kids. Like, what is going on in Florida and how does this actually represent the people there?
3: Maddie, it's a great question. And and no, I don't think it reflects the, the heart and soul of the people of Florida. And and really this election, I think, will be a battle for the soul of Florida. You know, do we want to be good, decent people and respect others? Or do we want to try to punish them and suppress their right to vote and make democracy more difficult in the sunshine state? And I think what Governor DeSantis, frankly, is really doing, I think he's auditioning for the Republican nomination for president in 2024. I mean, it's all this red meat stuff that he's throwing at him, punishing LGBTQ, you know, punishing women and their right to choose. They just passed a law and he's going to sign it this week that will really get rid of Roe versus Wade as it you know, relates to women and their uh, right to be able to make those decisions for themselves and, you know, making it harder for African-Americans to vote. I don't think that reflects Florida. We're one of the most diverse states in the country, 22 million people. And I think he's misleading us. And I think he's misled us on COVID. When we first got the vaccine, for example, he went to very wealthy places like Ocean Reef in the Florida Keys that were mostly white, Mm. mostly Republican, mostly wealthy. And he went to Lakewood Ranch, another such community, and the villages, another one. And he gives out 3,000 vaccines to those people and he doesn't go to inner city Miami and do the same thing or inner city Tampa Mm -hmm. or Orlando. And I just think that's wrong. He's supposed to treat everybody like they're children of God because they are. Mm -hmm. And to do otherwise is unconscionable to to be that biased. And you know, a lot of them ended up giving him contributions to his campaign. So you have to, one guy gave him like a million dollars after he got the vaccine and the keys. Unbelievable stuff. And I just don't think Floridians uh, feel that that's appropriate. Right. And I think they are uh, better minds and better hearts than that. We'll find out in November.
2: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed because not to tread lightly, but the guy seems like a psycho, <laughs> including his moment of you know yelling at students over masks and just things that I, it's like he's constantly viral, but viral for the wrong reasons. And I could go off, but I'll try and behave myself
1: for like three seconds. Like that's all I got. We yeah, we're not his biggest fans. No, we're not. But
2: I
3: I think what we saw there was horrible, and you know, disrespecting of children and their right to choose if they want to wear a mask or not, and you know, he derides them for doing that. I think we really got a glimpse into the heart and soul of Governor DeSantis, and it wasn't pretty.
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, look, a hot mic moment can definitely be interesting, but I've at least hope it
1: was more positive. Yeah. <sighs>
3: Indeed, right? Wouldn't you want that?
1: <laughs> I also have a question, like for you too. I mean, regarding obviously, like we talked about how a lot of this stuff like isn't representative of the people in Florida. However, there is definitely a large population that it that it could be, especially on like the COVID and mask front. Like, what is your approach, you know, to reach those people and kind of you know reunite? the people of Florida and kind of get on the same page?
3: Well, it, great question. And, and I think it is to treat everybody with respect, understand that we're not all going to agree on everything, but strive to find where you can have common ground. I mean, as I said earlier, who doesn't want a good education for their kids? Who doesn't want a safe environment for them to grow up in? Who doesn't want, you know, an environment that is protected and respected? You know, I think we all need to be good stewards of the land and water. And uh, I think we have an obligation to God to do that, and and hopefully, you know, some people that may be moderate Republicans or common sense folks would would come along and join us and try to do the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Well, let's take it into a very specific policy sort of segment. One of the things you mentioned earlier is that Desantis and you know, State Ledge have put into effect this 15 week abortion ban, really limiting women's right to choose and. Just curious, you know, from a campaign standpoint, where, you know, you're at on this particular issue if and when, you know, you're a governor, what would be sort of your course of action as it relates to, you know, a woman's right
1: to choose?
3: Well, to repeal that law, first and foremost, I think it's so critical and so important because, you know, another part of that same law is so cruel. There's no exception if you're raped. There's no exception for incest, no exception for human trafficking. I mean, who are these people? You know, you know, these white guys in Tallahassee telling women what to do. You know, he calls Governor DeSantis calls Florida the freest state in America. Well, evidently not if you're a woman Uh, or if you're an African-American or, you know, another minority making it harder for them to be able to vote. You know, it just it defies logic. He's made us the most unfree state in America. And my mission is to reverse that and to give freedom back to the people of the Sunshine State, the freedom to vote, the freedom to make their own choices about their body and their health. And and as I always say, just try to do the right thing. It's so important and it's so simple. There's, there's right and there's wrong. It's not even right versus left politically. It's right versus wrong. And it's wrong to do what he's doing, in my humble opinion.
1: Absolutely, me too. Another kind of just piece of <clears throat> abhorrent legislation is the Don't Say Gay bill, which literally just <laughs> passed. Can you kind of, for people who don't know what it is or what it really does, can you first paint that picture and kind of explain what it's going to do? And then also, is that another reversible moment? Give us some hope here also.
3: Yeah, sure. Of course. Well, it's all about hope, right? Yeah. Um, Basically, what the bill would do is say that teachers in school can't talk about individual sexual orientation or, you know, it's kind of act like those that are LGBTQ don't exist. And, you know, to me, that's horrific. I mean, you know, we we have gay and straight people, we have black and white people, we have short and tall people, we all do exist. And trying to pretend that that's artificial or not appropriate, that's not the government's place to tell you what to do. It's not the government's place to tell you who to love Mm -hmm. or to act like you don't even exist and it can't be discussed in in schools. You know, it's it's along the same lines of the you know, the CRT thing where they say that yeah. you know, you, you don't talk about the fact that we had slavery in America. I'm like, "Really? Are we going to deny facts? You know, are we going to deny the Holocaust happened next?" Yeah. I mean, because there's an old expression that those who don't know history may be condemned to repeat it. And we may be seeing a repetition of history right now as it relates to the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. Russia and Ukraine and, and, you know, the acts of Hitler back leading up to World War II. And, you know, it breaks my heart, but I'm inspired. I'm a hopeful guy. And so, you know, what I see in President Zelensky and his courage and his strength and his will and of the Ukrainian people is so inspirational. And, and I see it in my fellow Floridians. I know how upset they were when the governor, you know, gave those students wearing a mask in school such a hard time and got the hot mic moment, as you called it. And you're right. But most of the people of Florida are good folks. And I'm looking forward to this election, to these debates that'll be coming up in the fall. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do the right thing.
2: Absolutely. And we love a good debate moment. So we will be tuning in. But you did make mention of reversing laws once you're in office. And I'm curious how that process works. What is sort of the status operandi for reversing a law?
3: Well, there's several, actually. You know, you can challenge them in court, which the voting law that was passed that made it harder to mail in ballots, not having drop boxes, places to turn your ballots in in minority communities across our state, is being challenged in federal court right now. So, you know, the the justice system can right those wrongs. But if that doesn't occur, then you can do it in the legislative process where you can bring up a law that would repeal one of these bad laws. You just have to convince enough members of the Florida House and the Florida Senate to do it. And then I would sign as governor if I win, when I win, I hope, be able to assign that into law that would have repealed those bad voting laws or the law that says that, you know, a woman doesn't have the right to choose, those kinds of things. And that's really the process. It's, it's two-pronged for the most part.
1: Gotcha. Well, looking at your campaign a little bit further in your platform, what are some things that you feel like voters need to know about you and your, in your platform? And really, what are some of like main issues that you're running on?
3: Well, you know, fairness, fundamental fairness and goodness, as corny as that might sound. I think people deserve to have public servants that strive to serve them, knowing that you, the people, are the boss and you should serve with a servant's heart mm-hmm. and be humble And not be arrogant, like the governor was to those kids. You need to be respectful. I wear this yellow wristband. I don't know if you guys can see it. You probably can't. And it talks about a rule that I cherish called the golden rule, which is basically, you know, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Mm -hmm. And the wristband says, practice the golden rule every day. Well, the governor didn't practice the golden rule with those kids the other day. And shame on him for that. You know, I'm going to call him out. And that's part of the purpose of my campaign you know, is restore civility, decency, kindness, compassion, empathy for others. You know, when, I, when I'm driving around St. Pete and I see, you know, somebody on the side of the road with one of those cardboard signs, you know, that they need food, you know, I, I I look at them and I think, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so I always, if I have cash, give them some, you know, because it's true. You never know you when you might be downtrodden. And the example you set by doing that other people at the intersection will see that happen that act and that event and think maybe I should be doing that maybe I mm-hmm. should help those who are in need and so I think you can lead by example and it's it's a it's a pretty simple platform do what's right do what's kind utilize more grace in government as you know is supposed to serve the people
1: yeah other quick question too about the current like race right now and where everything stands. Are you the like who who else are you running um, against on the Democratic ticket? What's that looking like? When is the primary? Can you kind of give, give us that? that sure.
3: Yeah, there's two other Democrats running, and Nikki Freed is one. She's the current Agriculture Commissioner of Florida. The other is Annette Tadeo. She's a state senator from the Miami area, and we have a pretty late primary in Florida. It's like. August 23rd.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: wow. you don't get much time once you're the nominee of your party. It's a two-month sprint into the November 8th election. But, you know, it, it's, it's going well. Mm-hmm. They're friends of mine. So, you know, I don't attack them. I mean, yeah. you know, basically believe the same thing. We all want to beat Ron DeSantis and get yeah. rid of him and give Florida brighter, more hopeful tomorrow. And so, you know, it, it's going well and I'm pleased about it and happy where we are and but it's one day at a time you just work hard every day and be honest with folks
1: wait I'm so sorry I have another question <laughs> this is like a kind of a logistical question we, I mean, Sam have talked about this before, we were kind of confused about it. Like when you do choose, like say you are obviously in Congress, when you do choose to run for a different seat, are you retiring when you run? Like if you maybe don't win the primary, do you still, are you still in Congress? Do you still have your seat there? How does that work? Like just logistically, I'm super curious.
3: Well, in, under Florida law, you can only run for one office. Some okay. states leave you the ability to kind of not do it that way. But I made the decision to run for governor. and okay. And so, you know, it's up or out for me. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whatever the, whatever the will of the people of Florida, I'm fine with it. I'm pretty confident about the the race, but, but I'm not complacent at the same time. So I'm working hard every day. I'm putting my heart and soul into this thing. Honored to continue to serve as the congressman for Pinellas County and my hometown of St. Pete. And uh, having a good time doing it. It's a lot of fun.
0: Good.
2: I mean, I good. feel like that's half the battle. You got to have fun yeah. doing it.
3: Listen, when I was governor before, I remember always telling the people that were in my cabinet, the people I had appointed, I said, you got to have fun or it won't get done. And I, I would tell them, listen, you've been given a great privilege. The people of Florida were kind enough to vote for me, and I had the opportunity to appoint you. So this is rare air, and we need to appreciate that and understand it with humility and and have fun while it's happening because you all get to, you know, make it better for veterans in our department of veterans affairs or provide better health care from our department of health or provide a better education for our children at the department of education so enjoy what you're doing you're bringing uh, a lot of goodness to a lot of people
1: it should be super fulfilling if you if you let it be for sure
3: definitely
2: all right well for the last question here for those that want to get involved in your campaign they're inspired they're like absolutely sign me up how do they volunteer how do they get involved
3: just go to charliechrist.com dot com and it's Christ without an age. And, and, you know, you can sign up to do anything you want. I mean, if you happen to be a Floridian, please register to vote. That's so critically important. Yes. And if you're not, you can contribute, for, you know, as long as you're an American citizen, you can contribute to the campaign and any amount is helpful. And but, you know, as I say back, if you're a Floridian as well, love to have you campaign with us go door to door, make sure that we get out the vote. It's it's so critically important that everybody casts that ballot. It's really precious. I served with a great man named John Lewis from Georgia, God rest his soul, who was a great civil rights leader for America. And he used to always tell us and always told me, he said, Charlie, the right to vote is precious. It's so precious. It's really sacred. Mm-hmm. So I hope people get involved and we flip Florida blue in 22.
1: Heck yeah, I love that.
3: All right, right,
1: well, thank you so much. And we will make sure to link your website and any social media and stuff in the episode description so everyone can find you. But thank you so much for coming on and answering all our questions. Well, let me say
3: how what an honor it was to be on your show. And and thank you for what you're doing to get people more engaged, especially more young people. They're so inquisitive and so well-informed. We just need to make sure that more of them vote. And you're making that happen. So you're saving America. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank thank you. you. <laughs> oh, that was so nice. Thank, thank you. you. What do Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and so many other women on the Hill have in common? well you guessed it right guys they went to law school and they're lawyers so have you ever wondered you know what's the next step in becoming a lawyer especially a lady lawyer and potentially wanting to dive into politics well come join us at the ladies who law school podcast and find out how to get into law school we talk about how to get into law school, what paths to follow after law school, and yes, one of those paths is politics. So if you want to learn all the ins and outs and demystify the whole process, go to ladieswholawschool.com and find us on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. top stories of the week kicking it off is a story out of florida because let's just continue this conversation that we had with congressman chris which we talked about for a second with him which is this don't say gay bill out of florida that literally just passed today when we were recording it aka tuesday and so this florida bill basically limits discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in schools and passed in the state house on tuesday so this bill is sponsored by Republican Rep Joe Harding and states, he states the classroom instructed by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade 3 or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. And so parents would be able to sue districts over violations regarding this, which is fucking crazy. And so, you know, obviously we talked about this with, congressman chris already and so maybe just keep this one short if you're down sam but basically it did pass today and it's to go into law would you say july july 1st
2: and july just for one more detail on how like small numbers can really matter the vote was 22 to 17 22 mm. to 17 first of all this in my not so humble opinion this shouldn't even be close this should be like zero votes zero votes on this but the fact that 22 to 17 like that math what that's five people mm-hmm. five reps did i do that math correct correctly mm-hmm. i can't do my grammar correctly though so <laughs>
1: yeah but should we say the the votes quote which is last week he called the bill justifiable saying I think it's an inappropriate to be injecting those matters like chant like transgenderism into a kindergarten classroom. End quote I just So the governor's press secretary Christina Pushaw last
2: week faced calls to resign over tweeting that the bill would be more accurately described as an anti grooming bill, writing if you're against the anti grooming bill you're probably a groomer. At least you don't have to announce the grooming of four to eight year old children
1: like what the logic is zero percent is not present whatsoever and it's similar to what congressman chris said really all episode is just like not right not just and it's seems to be a similar theme coming out of florida and the state ledge and the governor there so florida listeners you have an election this year check out who the hell is voting for these laws and vote them out. Also pay very much attention to the primary and to obviously this governor's race because, you know, like we talked about today, don't think any of this really represents people of Florida. So it's time for you guys to to really step up and vote and check on all your friends and make sure they're registered and knowing what's going on because this is one of many bills out of Florida as of late that are absolutely atrocious which we've again talked about throughout this interview today but anyways let's move on past florida well we actually get to ring the bipartisan bell okay let's hear it <laughs> <laughs> we love it what happened
2: an exciting news which shouldn't even be exciting because it should have happened forever ago but nonetheless absolutely. we will take This moment of happiness, and we will not ruin it. It's
1: better late than never.
2: That's true. The Senate passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022, Monday night, so yesterday, by unanimous consent in the Senate. Just clarification, Senate, not Congress. The bill, which would make... Which is unheard of. Literally (laughs) unheard of.
1: Unanimous consent in a long time.
2: Like, I didn't even know those words knew each other, like that they were friends, that they could ever hang out. Whole mm-hmm. new world for It's that. good to see it. Good to see it. Good to see it. Good to see it. Let's, let's try for more of that. But the bill would make lynching a federal hate crime. And now it heads to President Joe Biden's desk for his signature. Legislation was approved by the House of Representatives, a.k.a. Congress last week by a vote of 422 to 3. And let me let's just see who the three were. You want to know who the three? The three were. Do you have them? Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, and Chip Roy of Texas like i just
1: cannot
2: even beyond you know what i also
1: like mm-hmm. so mgt like really was like fine i'll agree
2: wait did she vote on it maybe she didn't
1: maybe she did hold it on vote. i'm curious let's check i'm so curious marjorie taylor green everyone did i say mgt i meant mtg it just sounds like a boy band so it i kind of it's like mgk and i i'm sorry mgk that you so have sorry. any type of name Hold on, let me, it took me to her Twitter and that's not where I was trying to go.
2: Please hold while your legislation is loading.
1: She voted yeah. She voted yeah. I'm ready. Shocked. I'm shocked. I'm ready. I mean, I love to see it, I guess, like, but I also just.
2: I'm blown away, honestly, but here we are. I think I might be speechless. Mm, A bit speechless. Um, Representative Roy's comment or statement on his vote and explaining his decision. He says, lynching is an unspeakably heinous crime, he said. But this bill doesn't have anything to do with lynching other than its name. He called the bill an effort to advance a woke agenda under the guise of correcting racial injustice and said it was a matter for the state's.
1: I'm just sorry, sir. Like... You're just a racist. Are you okay? You're just a racist. Sorry. That seems to be... That seems to be what's happening here. And just a little bit more about, like, really what this legislation is and where it came from and what it does. The legislation is named in honor of 14-year-old Emmett Till, who was brutally murdered in a racist attack in Mississippi in 1955. And it was an event that drew national attention to just the atrocities and violence that African-Americans faced in the United States and became a huge, like, civil rights rallying cry. So, again, can we just talk about how fucking crazy this is that it happened in 1955? It's 2022. And we're passing an anti lynching act that three people are still saying no to. I'm just like, it's one of Can we get a wellness check on America right now, real quick? Oh, well, someone, someone
2: should be sending America to a therapist immediately.
1: It's looking crazy. <laughs> but wait, another just quote that makes me want to really just, you know, head over to the Golden Gate Bridge and. <laughs> Right <laughs> Drive off. me over. Because Thomas Massey, who was one of the three that voted no, mm. he's a Republican from Kentucky, he's, he said, in explaining his no vote, he wrote in a Twitter thread that designating enhanced penalties for, quote, hate tends to endanger other liberties, such as freedom of speech. And he also argued that lynching is illegal in all states already. So, I just, I um, don't understand. I don't understand. Um, when it comes to physically and brutally murdering someone via lynching due to hate and due to the way somebody looks or who they are or you know how they identify is actually not a threat to freedom of speech and you're just quite wrong sir i just can't so again if you're in georgia kentucky or texas vote these fuckers out we got rep andrew clyde from georgia Thomas Massey from Kentucky and Chip Roy from Texas. So just if you're curious, those are your people to target.
2: You know what I'm really curious about now that we say this. Yeah. I wonder where all three of them are on the death penalty. Mm. because if you are mm. like, obviously I'm stereotyping here a little bit, so you know there's that nuance and whatnot. But typically if you're really you're hard and fast on the death penalty, wouldn't you then have like a very hard on crime stance and therefore in your head is there any punishment enough for doing atrocious crimes right Mm -hmm. like then is the wouldn't the logic then carry over to lynching you think you would think like there's the there's the logic on that one
1: well, the hypocrisy moments are are the ones that we absolutely love to call out here on this show. So mm. thank you for raising that point, Samantha. I'm
2: so glad my brain worked.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> she's she's churning as best as she could, but she had, she had her star moment just there for sure. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to the next one. We rang our bipartisan bell, and great news on that front that we finally passed this pretty straightforward, unnecessary piece of legislation that should have been passed decades ago, but we'll celebrate it nonetheless. Moving on to some Ukraine updates, kind of talking about it on the U.S. front, the U.S. angle and kind of what we're doing as of late. And so to start off, we want to talk about how Ukraine aid is growing and our lawmakers are shaping big budget bills and really proposing aid for Ukraine in that. So proposed U.S. aid for Ukraine and its European allies has grown beyond 12 billion dollars. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Monday as congressional bargainers work toward a bipartisan government widespread spending deal that would also contain fresh sums for battling COVID as well. And the remarks by Schumer underscored the momentum in Congress for helping outgunned Ukraine fend off Russian invaders and insisting in assisting the country and others cope with refugees and other economic and humanitarian problems caused by the Russian attack. So, um, Schumer said the clearest signal Congress can send to Vladimir Putin this week is passing a bipartisan aid package, leaving no doubt that the democratic nations of the world will stand with Ukraine and fight or stand with Ukraine and against Putin's deeply immoral and bloody war. And so he also said the assistance would pay for refugees, medical and food supplies, weapons and transfers to Ukraine and aid for nearby nato allies basically where we're at right now with it is that the leaders want the house to vote on the legislation by wednesday aka when this episode is released when house democrats plan to leave town for the rest of the week for a political retreat what what the fuck what? <laughs> um read the fucking room literally who's going where is this political retreat if there's sponsors services doing? and i wasn't invited i'm gonna be mad They better be doing some group therapy sessions and like Mm -hmm. getting their fucking shit together and it better actually be beneficial. I think that might be the biggest chunk of news for the week is that House Democrats are planning to leave for the week for a political retreat. So it's not even Republicans aren't even going. They're not even going to be able to do good group like group therapy together and work on their relationships. It's just the Dems. Read the room, guys. It's just it's the Democrats poor marketing at it once again s fox news is probably going to destroy um, them on this i just don't know if it's the time like everyone deserves a good retreat here and again but maybe not during the most tumultuous time of the year i don't know that's just me
2: in my in my mind they're pulling a little bit of a boris so <laughs> boris being UK. they're pulling a ted cruz as well yeah so. oh my god oh my god yeah Okay, that's the better American version.
1: So if they vote on this by Wednesday, that would give the Senate a couple of days to complete the measure before confronting a federal shutdown, which experience has shown angers voters, obviously, and both parties do hope to avoid that. So there might be some conducive working together on that front for that. But there is another chunk to this and news that broke actually today before we recorded this. So Samantha, give us the tea. Yeah, well, this has been in discussion for the last few days,
2: but the U.S. banned Imports of Russian oil and liquefied natural gas and coal as of a few hours ago. This is being used as a strategy to put pressure on Moscow. This is happening amid rising gasoline prices here in the U.S. The average price is topped $4 a gallon for the first time since 2008. And the administration... If That's you-
1: not even bad. That's... A- okay, so... here, Here, it's topping $6. In L.A., I've seen mid to high $7. But literally insane i have a fucking prius used to take me like less than 30 dollars to fill my entire tank It's now taking upwards of 60 oh my god so wild you can have a prius and still you're paying like what a normal gas guzzler in normal times pays it's just that is indiv- so wild everyone just make that switch it's time hit that get that electric car there's so many good ones And I just really love to hammer it home of, like, we literally, Russia would be powerless if we had switched to fucking clean energy years ago. Another example of that. Or at least a lot less powerful than they are now. Exactly. (sighs) Well, I also did see
2: that, like, because now I have cable, but, like, not really cable. I have fake cable.
1: That Mm -hmm. Chevy
2: has, like, a truck that's coming out. Millennial
1: Gen Z cable. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Streaming (laughs) app. Streaming app. (laughs) But regardless, yes, yeah, still don't on a TV, not happening. But regardless, Chevy is coming out with like, or has a truck coming out that's all electric. Yeah. You can pre-order. So there's a lot of options coming out. Obviously, I need to really make this asterisk, oh my God, this asterisk bold, italicized and all of that jazz. I literally live in New York. And if you think I have a car, you are out of your mind. So I really don't know what the average costs of like,
1: yeah, New Yorkers don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is very much a walking city as well, but a lot of people have cars here too, so it just depends. But Is the parking easier? It's probably way easier than New York, yeah, for sure. But it's still, you know, somewhat of a nightmare. I get tickets, like, every month. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Huh, nice. But anyways, back to Russia.
2: Back to Russia. The impact on Russia would likely be minimal, The United States imports a small share of Russia's oil exports and doesn't buy any of its natural gas. This is stuff I, like, literally never really thought of, I'll be totally honest. Last year, roughly 8% of U.S. imports of oil and petroleum products came from Russia. Together, the imports sold the equivalent of 245 barrels in 2021, which is roughly 672,000 barrels of oil and petroleum products a day. But imports of Russian oil have been declining rapidly as buyers have shunned the fuel because the amount of oil the u.s imports from russia is modest russia could potentially sell the oil elsewhere perhaps in china or india so they'll probably have to sell it at a steep discount because fewer and fewer buyers are accepting russian oil right now if russia were eventually to shut off from the global market rogue countries such as iran and venezuela might be welcomed back as sources of oil so we'll sort of see what happens there to stabilize some prices and a team of Biden administration officials were in Venezuela speaking at which over the weekend to discuss energy and other issues. So,
1: oh, we'll see.
2: Yeah. We'll see what happens. Well, this,
1: this chunk, I think, obviously, like, this is also the stories everyone can't stop talking about. It's all over TikTok. It's over Instagram. Everyone, all my friends, everyone I know is like, holy shit, the gas prices, my family group texts blowing up all these pictures of what they're at and i think everyone's just like what in the world and so basically how could now this russian oil ban affect prices is a question and the news of like this looming u.s oil ban sent gasoline prices to their highest level ever recorded with a gallon of regular selling for an average of 417 tuesday like you said and so a month ago, oil was selling for about $90 a barrel, and now prices are surging around $130 a barrel as buyers shun you know, Russian oil. And refiners had already feared being left with oil they couldn't resell if sanctions were imposed. So Shell, good old Shell, Said Tuesday that it would stop buying Russian oil and natural gas and shut down its service stations, aviation fuels, and other operations there. Days after Ukraine's foreign minister criticized the energy giant for continuing to buy Russian oil. So, energy analysts warned that prices could go as high as $160 a barrel or even $200 a barrel if buyers continue to shun um, Russian oil. And that trend could send U.S. gasoline prices past $5 a gallon on average scenario that biden and other political figures are desperate to avoid which is fucking crazy so if that's five dollars on average cross-country that's gonna mean like in you know the la's and san francisco's up the world it's gonna top like fucking eight dollars a gallon which is that's more than my coffee so wild i'm like mom bring the tussie up here and pick me up i'm not driving home <laughs> sorry but that is kind of the rundown and explainer on that front again i think very much top of mind for a lot of people right now of what's going on with gas prices but yeah those are our top stories we'll definitely try and keep you know ukraine updates coming. keep asking us questions if you have them go buy your four bottles of wine for 29.95 if you haven't Take advantage of that deal yet again like what are you doing what What are you you doing doing? if you want an internship you're in college hit up slash careers if you want to join our community and get some resume boosters or political networking opportunities or just connect with other young like-minded women in the political space there's no requirements and you can join our brand ambassador program and if you're in New York City and you want to do your part politically and have a little action item, political impact moment, bring your friends to our event on Saturday and get them civically engaged and ready for these midterm elections. I think it's a really fun and easy action item you guys can do to help promote civic engagement amongst your friends and peers. So tickets are linked in this episode description. And I believe that's it for Samantha do you have any final notes um no but I'm really really hungry I'm so hungry so love you guys (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday bye